patient, holy, loving, and forgiving God. You know that we are far from perfect. We are totally dependent on your grace and mercy. So open our minds and hearts to you and send your Holy Spirit fully among us that we may hear and receive your holy word and respond to it with your help and be all that Christ calls us to be for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Well, happy St. David's Day, a special day for the people of Wales. And I thoroughly enjoyed a charity event that was here on Friday uh, with Geeta Harry, the compere, and it was raising money uh, with the London Welsh Male Voice Choir for the Passage Charity, helping people out of homelessness. And today we remember St. David giving thanks for his passion for the gospel, which helped to spread Christianity. And we give thanks for his purity and simplicity of life, which enabled his pursuit of Christian perfection, to be like Jesus. We give thanks for his gentleness, but his clear spiritual leadership. And we remember the words that are thought to be his last words. Be steadfast and do the little things. As Ali mentioned earlier, fair trade is about doing the little things that make a difference. And although I'm not going to focus totally on fair trade in uh, the sermon today, let's think about the little things that we can do and the temptation not to do them. The commentator Matthew Henry once said, the best of saints are tempted to the worst of sins. And we need to take that very seriously as we hear just recently the revelations about Jean Vanier and the Larche community. Everyone is tempted. Everyone is vulnerable to temptation. And true saints are those who are set apart for God and who are equipped to resist the lure to do that thing that God does not want us to do. So on this first Sunday in Lent, we're reminded about the reality of temptation in all of our lives. And this morning, I'd like us to think about temptation actually being an illusion an illusion that leads us to believe that we know better than God knows. An illusion that somehow God is withholding something from us. An illusion that causes suspicion and doubt that God has our best interests at heart. I wonder if you've ever wondered what it would be like to be God. Have you ever questioned his ways. I'm sure you have. You won't be the first person who has. Do you remember the uh, movie Bruce Almighty? It was a box office hit in 2003. You're looking very blank, so I'll have to tell you about it. It, uh, it starred the hilarious uh, Jim Carrey, who played a down-on-his-luck TV reporter, Bruce Nolan. And he blames God for his situation, especially that his rival got the job that he wanted. And he accuses his maker of not doing his job properly. God, who's played by Morgan Freeman, offered Bruce the opportunity to do his job for a week. He wants Bruce 
to realise that it's not easy running the world, so Bruce accepts and somewhat selfishly enjoys his newfound powers. He has fun walking on water. He parts a bowl of soup a la the Red Sea. And he moves the moon closer to the earth by using an invisible lasso just to get it just right when he's uh, courting his girlfriend. Suddenly, he hears persistent voices in his head. God explains when he asks what all these voices are that these are the prayers that he must deal with if he is going to be God. But Bruce can't cope with a million of messages that come through. He doesn't know what to do with them all, so he creates a computer inbox to put all the messages in. But how can he receive and answer them all? It's just all too much. It drives him nuts. And in despair, he decides what he's going to do is select all the requests and just type yes to the lot. Done. Everybody gets what they want. All the requests are dealt with. But what happens? Chaos. All those who wanted to win the lottery, for example, it just shows how many people were praying for that, get their wish. But there are so many wi winners that the prize ends up at just $17 when the prize pot is divided up. And people get frustrated. And with all the other things that are happening because of the prayers that they've asked for, the world goes crazy and Bruce can't stop it. There are riots and he can't interfere because God gives free will to people. Wow. God's job was tough after all, as Bruce discovers. And it's a very funny film, and it plays on the fact that sometimes we think we know best rather than trusting God's will and God's providence. Let me take you back to uh, Genesis, to uh, the story of Adam and Eve, a story that enshrines a truth for us. We're told that God is the great designer of the world, who brings the world into being. A human body is then formed from the dust of the ground. And God breathes into Adam's nostrils the very breath of life. And that human frame suddenly receives the breath of life and becomes a living soul. And then we read these words in Genesis 2, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So our maker sets Adam, later Eve as well, into a perfect environment with all sorts of trees, with food that was uh, with trees that were pleasing to the eye and uh, good to eat. Everything was given in that paradise so that souls could flourish. Here is life, a gift. Now go and enjoy it. The story goes on later. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you not, must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. 
Now, the uh, preacher Judah Smith says it's indicative of God's grace that he gave permission before he gave restriction. He said, you can eat from every tree except one. Everything was given for Adam and Eve's happiness, but we know the story and the truth that it's uh, telling us, that we're tempted to question God's no. Remember, everything was given for happiness. But why, why are we told no? We're tempted to cross the boundary, to resist the limitation. Let's be honest, none of us likes to be told no. And we can see this from children and uh, uh, grandchildren as well from an early age. Parents want the best for their children, but their children often doubt that that's really the case. They don't want to be restrained. They want to do the thing they're not supposed to do, even if it's not for their own good. In short, in the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve uh, doubt God. Did God really say, the snake in the story, that you must not eat from the tree, any tree in the garden? There's an illusion that something better was being denied them. They choose to believe that they know better than God. And so we have in this story the beginning of what is called the fall. Humanity that falls away for God's intention for it, that is that we enjoy paradise. And because they fall away from that intention, the relationship breaks down between God and his creation. And consequently, sin and death enter the world. So what is sin? Well, for me, uh, I often use this silly little uh, illustration because I think it's quite profound. Sin is a three-letter word with I in the middle. It's when the world selfishly revolves around me, and it's the opposite to the two great commandments that God gives us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Both of those things are towards God and other people, rather than putting ourselves first. Now, some would argue, well, what's God doing putting a tree in the middle of the garden? Surely he's setting them up to fail. Well, I must admit, I don't quite see the story uh, like that. Because you can't force people to love you or to do what you think is best. For without the tree, there isn't the freedom to choose. There wouldn't be true love, true obedience. Because you can't demand or force love. That's abusive, to force someone to love you. So here is the freedom. I give you everything, but just don't. And it's the just don't that causes the problem. And so in Genesis, we have the story of a gracious creator God who gives the gift of love, life, all that we need to flourish. He knows best, but we choose not to live according to the maker's instructions and reap the consequences. If I buy a car, 
and I decided not to use the owner's manual, and I put orange juice in the tank rather than petrol, I shouldn't be surprised if the engine dies. Because that's not how it's meant to work. I can choose to do that, but it doesn't work. Someone once said, when God says no, it's always because there's a bigger yes. God loves us. He longs for us to trust him, to choose to love him in return and to respect him. And this story of Adam and Eve gives us an understanding of the way things are. So we come to our epistle lesson. And not an easy lesson to unpack or to choose. But it's clear from that passage that sin and death weren't part of God's intended creation. He didn't intend for us to die. He didn't intend for the world to be spoilt by sin. The disobedience captured in the one man, Adam, determines the fate of all humanity. What is needed is a second Adam. And that's why God himself, in Jesus, comes to show us how to live, how to deal with sin, and to redeem the situation. So in Romans 5.19, we have these words. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus proves to be the new Adam. He sets as an example of that right living that God intended for us. If you like, he became the new David who undoes the effects of Adam's choice. And through his life and death and resurrection, he makes possible life in all its fullness as God intended through gracious, saving serving love. Therefore, we come to our gospel lesson. Remember, when Jesus was baptized, what happened? A voice came from heaven. This is my son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. And what follows then are three temptations as the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. And the first two of those temptations from the tempter, as Matthew calls Satan, begin, if you are God's son. God says, this is my son. The first two temptations, if you are God's son. And then all three of the temptations question the promises of God. And so, Jesus walks in our shoes and the illusion of something alternative to God's intention is held out before him in the wilderness. Now the preacher Charles Price, when he's reflecting on this passage, turns to 1 John 2 verse 16. And he says, uh, John, uh, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so we see these three things that John talks about mirrored here in the temptations. First of all, the lust of the flesh. Jesus was fasting. 
he was hungry. And he was tempted by greed, not to trust in God's provision, but to believe the illusion that everything would be fine if he just changed those stones into bread. That would be the answer. On Trade Justice Sunday, we have a modern example. Everything is given to us in this world. But we think of the temptation of materialism to gather up everything that we possibly can, to have everything that we want, and as cheaply as possible, regardless of the consequences for other people, for producers, and for the environment. The temptation to greed, to feed the lust that we have of the flesh. Then there's the lust of the eyes. That's just one example. The lust of the eyes. Jesus is shown the kingdom of the world. And he was tempted by the illusion that authority, territory, an abuse of power, and the pursuit of gain is the answer. So there are many examples of that kind of temptation in this world today. Take what the Me Too movement has highlighted about the abuse of power. What about the lack of integrity that we see in some politicians and world leaders? What about the ambition that can distort us, that means that we become people who are not compassionate? It's all about self and not about other people or God. The pride of life, the third thing that John mentions. Uh, Jesus is tempted to test God by throwing himself down from the temple of the holy city. The illusion that God will bless us, come what may, whatever we decide to do. To test God, to see how far we can go. Where miracles become the be all and end all. I think today of the people who believe that the answers to life's problems might be found in fame and popularity, the temptation to cheat, to scam, to gamble, or the TV evangelist tempted to fake healings, to manipulate people. Temptation is when what might look good is actually bad for us. It's all an illusion. Dr. Billy Graham said, the Bible is the only thing that can combat the devil. Quote the scriptures and the devil will run. Use the scriptures like a sword and you will drive away temptation. That's why in the Methodist church, we see the holy scriptures as revealing all things necessary for salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. The scriptures are there to help us, to be our compass, to point us in the right direction. And I encourage you during Lent to take more time than you usually would do to read God's word and to live your life by it, to discern what it's saying to us in this day and age. Because it's in God's word we find the power to conquer the illusion that we know best. To master the Bible we have to let the Bible master us. Let me go back to Bruce Almighty for a moment. God amusingly, in the film, contacts Bruce by phone 
in order to speak to him. It would be useful, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I've discovered that some viewers who watched that program actually had an idea because when they saw on the screen the phone number, they noted it down. And would you believe that people actually dialed the number and all around the world, people with the same phone number, albeit with a different uh, uh, dialing code, uh, received hundreds of calls. Ironically, including a church in North Carolina where the minister happened to be called Bruce, but that's an aside. In the real world, God is clearly popular in a crisis. We shout out to him as to what we need. A, a poll recently uh, declared that over half of all adults in the UK actually pray, even those who claim they don't believe in God. The trouble is, when we pray, what do we do? We bombard God with requests as though we know best. This is what we want, God. Will you please do it for us? There's a temptation in all of that. Prayer is about listening first to what our maker wants for us and trying to align ourselves with God's will. You see, the tempter encourages to go for what we want, to pursue the illusion of what will bring us happiness rather than seeking the creator's will and plan for us. Well, in the story of Bruce Almighty, of course, it all ends happily ever after because Bruce gives up complaining about his lot and complaining about God. He gives up leaving the illusion of what's best. And rather than arguing with God, he learns to listen and to trust. He becomes grateful for all that he has. And rather than desiring happiness for himself alone, he puts God and other people first. And rather than trying to force his girlfriend to love him using his almighty powers, she ends up doing so because he begins to respect her and love her. And the love is spontaneous. She loves him in return and he finds peace and joy and happiness. So our two readings today teach us that Jesus is God's son. Despite the doubts sowed by the tempter, he is the one who does what Adam and Israel did not do. Without hesitation, Jesus puts God first rather than himself. He's faithful to God's word, quoting God's word back when the temptation comes and he overcomes evil. And all the while, obediently modeling a life of self-sacrifice for us to follow. Loving God, loving his neighbor, above his own self-interest. On St. David's Day, we should be inspired to do the, be steadfast and to do the little things. To learn that St. David and the other saints model purity and simplicity of life for us. Like them, we are called to pursue Christian perfection to seek to follow Jesus obediently, calling out to him for help, yes, with the help of his Holy Spirit, but standing on the word of God and not just dictating to him what we want. Hebrews 2 verse 18, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
So, beware. Temptation is just an illusion. Rather, be sure that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life God wants for us. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment. O Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend.